Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. The other night, I went to a kirtan event at a local yoga studio, and it was just the medicine I needed. I had had a rough weekend. It was a rough weekend on top of a really rough week, and I had spent the morning crying. When I tuned in and asked myself, when I asked my intuition, my own inner knowing, if it was for my highest and best to go to this event, it was a yes. I knew that kirtan, that chanting of mantra in a yoga studio, would most likely bring more tears to the surface, but that I would also feel safe. And I knew that was what I needed to move the emotions through my body. It's kind of like watching a movie that you know will make you cry just because you either want to feel something because maybe you haven't felt anything in a while. Or in my case, I was already feeling so much and just wanted to open the valve as a way to release some of the pressure, to let it out. So I went. And before we got to singing and chanting with Adam Bauer, John DeCat, an incredible percussionist and spoken word artist, according to his Instagram, took us on a journey. He took us on a journey through storytelling. It was beautiful, and every one of us got something different from the story. We all got what we needed, and that's the beauty of storytelling. As a writer myself, I'm becoming more and more aware that what I write will mean different things to different people, and that's the power of stories. Stories are how we integrate, how we understand the language of emotions through story. I try to weave in facts and statistics where I can, but most of us won't remember much of that. What we will remember are the stories. Storytelling is reverent. Chanting, singing, they are both reverent. After our story with John, the lights were lowered so we could only see the silhouettes of the three musicians. At first, I didn't understand. I've never seen musicians play in the darkness. And then the music began. And I understood it. This was going to be an internal journey. It was an opportunity for me to be free without worrying what I looked like or what everyone else around me looked like or what they were doing. It wasn't even about watching the artists themselves. I was a part of this performance. I was not separated. We were all one. If tears came, that was for me and me alone. So I sat there chanting and singing letting myself get lost in the music, in the feeling, feeling whatever wanted to be felt. This is reverence. So on that note, let's dive into this week's two emotions, admiration and, you guessed it, reverence. From Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, her definition of admiration is, We feel admiration when someone's abilities, accomplishments, or character inspires us, or when we see something else that inspires us, like art or nature. Admiration often leads us to wanting to improve ourselves. 
That's amazing. Admiration leads us to wanting to improve ourselves. It doesn't make us want to be like the other person or the thing we admire. We just want to be a better version of ourselves. I admire Cheryl Strayed. This doesn't mean I want to be her. My admiration of her makes me want to be a better writer for myself and to be more brave. Admiration is a good thing. This is an exercise that I love to do. I do it about probably once a year and has to do with admiration. So make a list. It's super simple. You don't even have to write it down. You can think about this or you can write it down. Make a list of the people you admire. So for me, Oprah, Alicia Keys, my grandmother. Then you make a list of the qualities that those people have or had that you admire. Maybe it's leadership skills. They speak their truth. They're loving and kind. So You've made a list of the people you admire. Then you make a list of the qualities those people have. And then you ask yourself if you can see that quality in yourself. So for example, I admire Glennon Doyle. And what I love about her is her ability to be vulnerable, raw, emotional, sensitive, to tell the truth even when it's hard. So then I ask myself, Do I embody those things? I can see that what I admire in them, I also admire in myself. And if I can't see it in myself yet, then it's something I can work on improving. Admiration makes us want to improve ourselves. It makes us want to be better. Dr. John Gottman of the Gottman Institute, in his New York Times bestselling book, the seven principles for making marriage work, he introduced the concept that a foundationally secure partnership is like a house. So visualize a house. This house has seven floors and then these exterior walls. It has weight-bearing walls and levels, and each person builds upon to create a sturdy bond. He calls this structure the sound relationship house. Here is an overview floor by floor. The first floor, floor one is building love maps. So this is the foundation. It all begins with knowing each other. The first level of the sound relationship house, partners build what Dr. John Gottman calls a love map, which is the essential guide to your partner's inner world. What do they like? What do they dislike? Who are their friends? Did they have a happy childhood? How do they prefer to relax? Building love maps means asking the right questions to learn more about your partner. In an ideal relationship, you and your partner know each other better than anyone else. Now, floor number two, which we will definitely come back to. This is sharing fondness and admiration. Everyone needs to hear something nice about themselves. And it means the most when it comes from your partner. Sharing fondness and admiration sounds like vocalizing the characteristics that you appreciate. Perhaps you admire their sense of humor or the way they're always willing to help someone in need. In healthy relationships, you can articulate the big and little reasons you love your partner. Okay, let's go to the third floor. Turn towards. When you need attention, support, and comfort from your partner, you're likely to say something or make a gesture to elicit a response from them. 
what Gottman calls the bid. Your partner turns towards that bid when they reply with what you need, consistently turning away, or worse yet, turning against a bid spells disaster for any relationship. When you both recognize and turn towards each other's bids, you create a safe space for both of you to express yourselves and your needs. All right, floor number four, the positive perspective. Isn't so much of life all how you look at it? That's what the positive perspective offers. Couples in healthy relationships see the best in each other and they don't rush to offense or criticism. So when your partner rushes out the door and forgets to kiss you goodbye, a positive perspective means that you give your partner the benefit of the doubt that they were absentmindedly preoccupied rather than intentionally negligent. Believing that you're on the same team solidifies your union and strengthens you from the inside out. Floor five, manage conflict. Since we can't avoid conflict, knowing what to do when it inevitably shows is key. First, you need to accept your partner's influence, meaning you take their feelings and desires into account instead of doing everything your own way. Second, whether problems are solvable or perpetual, you dialogue about them. And third, when you feel yourself getting heated during an argument, self-soothing, such as taking a walk, or taking deep breaths will help you to remain calm. And floor six, make life dreams come true. The beauty of good companionship is that you have someone who will not only encourage you in your goals, but also help you reach them. This level can look like coming up with a plan to pay off debt brought into the partnership or being supportive about them going back to school, making life dreams come true shows that you want the best possible life for your partner and you're willing to do what it takes to make that happen. And the final floor is floor seven, create shared meaning. The top of the sound relationship House functions much like its foundation of love maps, except on this level, you build and understand an inner world as a couple. The Gottmans think of it as developing a culture of symbols and rituals that express who you are as a team. It can be as simple as getting pizza from the place you both love every Friday or as intricate as the unique way you celebrate birthdays. These rituals of connection define you as a unit and you create them together. And the last part, now that we have the seven floors, are the two walls. And so the weight-bearing walls, one is trust and one is commitment. As important as all the floors of the sound relationship house are, they don't hold together without the pillars of trust and commitment. In a healthy, supportive relationship, two people make the decision to have faith in each other and stick together. They freely love one another and pledge to help that love grow. So now we know what the whole house looks like. Seven floors, the two walls, trust and commitment. Let's go back to floor number two, which is about sharing fondness and admiration. Sharing fondness and admiration is a friendship skill, which serves as the antidote for contempt. And if you know anything about John Gottman's work, contempt is one of the four horsemen. It's one of the ways that you can determine that a relationship will fail. So admiration is super important to help us counteract the antidote for contempt. 
It's important that couples develop systems of fondness and admiration that can last beyond that first initial crush you have on someone. Fondness is an affection for one another. It's not enough to just say, I'm fond of you. You have to share why. Instead of saying, I'm proud of you, say, I'm proud of the way you blink. I'm proud of your this. I'm attracted to your blank. I am impressed that you blank. I like how you blank. This is something you can do in all relationships, not just romantic ones. Over the next week, practice saying this out loud. Very often we believe that our partner already knows these things, but I promise you they will love hearing them from you. In addition to proactive fondness, couples must learn how to show appreciation. It's all connected. And this uh, is one of my favorite Gottman exercises, which is called I Appreciate, also from the seven principles for making marriage work. So choose an adjective that describes your partner. Maybe they're dependable, they're clever, they're authentic, they're honest, caring, independent, joyful, strong, whatever it is. Choose an adjective that describes your partner. Then name an actual incident from the past week where your partner demonstrated that quality. Write it down. And the next time you get a chance, share it. Say it out loud to them. Tell them, I appreciate that you are blank. I noticed it last week when dot, dot, dot. So an example of this, which just happened to me, was I appreciate that you are so thoughtful and caring. I noticed it last week when you knew I was having a tough week and you sent me the most beautiful flowers. By sharing what you appreciate about each other, you will reinforce for yourself and your partner the positive aspects of your relationship. And then there's one little piece at the end of this exercise that I love, which brings us back to the admiration. Based on whatever adjective you use to describe your partner, let's say you picked relaxed and your partner picked strong, there's a reason those attributes are meaningful to you. Explore those reasons together. Why is strength important? What is it about being relaxed that holds value? When couples can identify and articulate their core values together, they can get a jumpstart on creating shared meaning which is at the top of the sound relationship house. According to Zach Brittle, a certified Gottman therapist, he says sharing fondness and admiration in intentional, consistent, faithful ways is the antidote to contempt. And more importantly, increases the amount of affection and respect in a relationship. Your relationship, especially in its early stages, may feel full of infatuation, sexual attraction, and hope. When the newness wears off, however, you'll be glad that respect, trust, and love remain as a result of your sharing. Okay, now it's time to talk about reverence. I want to start this emotion, reverence, off with a poem called For Equilibrium, A Blessing. Like the joy of the sea coming home to shore, May the relief of laughter rinse through your soul. As the wind loves to call things to dance, may your gravity be lightened by grace. Like the dignity of moonlight restoring the earth, may your thoughts incline with reverence and respect. 
As water takes whatever shape it is in, so free may you be about who you become. As silence smiles on the other side of what's said, may your sense of irony bring perspective. As time remains free of all that it frames, may your mind stay clear of all its names. May your prayer of listening deepen enough to hear in the depths the laughter of God. This is by John O'Donohue from his book, To Bless the Space Between Us, a Book of Blessings. The definition of reverence from Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart is reverence, which sometimes called adoration, worship, or veneration, is a deeper form of admiration or respect and is often combined with a sense of meaningful connection with something greater than ourselves. She also listed in Atlas of the Heart a research definition she came upon which says reverence is a cardinal virtue characterized by the capacity of feeling deep respect, love, and humility for something sacred or transcendent. Here's how admiration and reverence differ. Admiration fosters self-betterment. It makes us want to be better. Reverence, however, seems to foster a desire for connection to what we revere. We want to actually just move closer to that thing or the person that we revere. So this means we can have a complicated relationship with reverence. For instance, what's the first thing you think of when you hear reverence? For most of us, it's God, it's church. That's what we think of. And and that can be complicated I grew up going to church. I was baptized in a Methodist church, and then I was confirmed in a Congregationalist church. We went to church almost every Sunday, and I wasn't allowed to wear jeans. (laughs) This was a performative part of reverence. And like many parts of reverence, when we're children, it's imposed on us. This wasn't something we chose. We, our parents, you know, the people around us teach us what we need to revere, what we need to be reverent about. As we grow up, many of us will question what reverence actually means to us separate from our families, or in my case, the church. I've always been deeply curious, and I have a desire to really understand and question things, especially the status quo. I think it might be that my rising sign is Aquarius. I can remember being in the basement of the church where we held our Sunday school classes And I started to ask questions. I was beginning to see that not everyone was treated equally. Like my friend who had recently come out as gay, was she not going to get into heaven? What about my stepdad who was Jewish? He wasn't getting in either. And the answers I was getting were no longer lining up with my own personal beliefs about what God meant to me. Brene Brown shared on her HBO special that Anything that demands reverence that is not open to being challenged or questioned is problematic. So this was my experience. It became problematic. White supremacy depends on reverence. Reverence can be dangerous. We need to be conscious of the things we're choosing to hold reverence for. Take social media, for example. Would you ever invite a hundred people into your bedroom when you first wake up? 
Well, that's what we're doing when the first thing we do is get on our phones and get on social media, check Facebook, check Instagram. This is how we're starting our day. We're worshiping social media sites and they're addictive. They're made to be addictive. They have us. They have us hooked and not in a good way. And when social media went on from computers to the mobile to phones, we saw self-harm, not reported, but actual hospital admissions of self-harm among young girls go up 120% because reverence. They're holding reverent the wrong things, and it's not their fault. The system is completely rigged against them. Now that we've seen the negative side of reverence, let's look at some of the positive aspects of it. Now remember, reverence can foster a desire for connection to what we revere. It makes us want to move closer to that thing or person. This is what yoga and meditation have done for me. They move me closer to the divine. Before my grandma passed away, she was asking me about my relationship with church and religion, and I told her that yoga is like me going to church every single day, not just on Sundays. I told her that my spirituality has allowed me to feel closer to God than ever before, and I didn't need to experience it in a church. I now experience God in all things. It starts the moment I sit on my yoga mat. I mostly practice kundalini yoga, and the first thing I do upon sitting down is I rub my palms together, and then I bring them to my heart center. With my hands in a prayer pose, I chant, Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, Ong Namo Gurudev Namo. Three times with my eyes closed, I feel the vibration of the chant throughout my entire body. Ong Namo Gurudev Namo, it's Gurmukhi for I bow to the divine wisdom inside of me. I bow to the divine teacher within me. It connects me to the wisdom that lives inside of me, the wisdom of the universe, of God. This is reverence. I practice yoga and it brings me closer to myself. It brings me closer to the divine. About half of our kundalini yoga meditations have chanting in them, but if you ever come to class with me, I tend to always meditate with chanting. The sounds, the vibrations bring me closer to the divine. This is reverence. I play crystal tone singing bowls, and every time I sit down to play them, I ground myself and I connect with my heart before even touching them. I ask to play them, and I treat them with such reverence the entire time, even to the way that I pack them up and transport them when I bring them places. All of it is done with such reverence. These bowls are gorgeous. And when people are around them, they just want to touch them. It's just like the energy of the bowls pulls people to them. They want to play them. And the first few times I would let somebody play them, I would f- completely freak out inside. And it's because other people were not treating them reverently because they didn't know any better. They go to chime them and they would play them so hard with the chimes. And I've learned through experience to not let others play them. And if I do, it's when I've really conveyed the amount of reverence that needs to be expressed when playing them. 
When Dharma Yoga Syracuse was still open before the pandemic, we treated the space with such reverence. My beloved teacher, Saraswati, taught me so much about reverence. She taught me how to build altars, whether they be in nature or inside with flowers or crystals or whatever. When building an altar, you build it in a clockwise direction, just like a medicine wheel. And when taking it apart, you take it apart in a counterclockwise direction, always with reverence. Saraswati shared that puja is ritual, the remembrance of everything being holy, evoking reverence, living a life of ceremony. It's about making everything an offering, making everything sacred. Everything and anything can be puja, washing dishes to lighting candles. This is what creates magic. It brings magic to the mundane, to the boring. She has an online course, which of course I will link to in the show notes, called Alter Your Life, where she shares how to create altars, working with stone allies, plant allies, animal allies, creating altars in your home, in nature, in the cycles and seasons of life. She taught me that everything can be done with reverence, just like folding the blankets after a yoga class or a sound journey. You have to choose to live your life this way, choose to be fully present. And in my case, my reverence is towards the divine, towards God, towards my own inner teacher. I have been doing my best to incorporate as much reverence into my fertility journey that I can. When I would receive meds in the mail, my shots, from the pharmacy, the first thing I would do was to pray over them, to raise their vibrations, to help my body receive them. When I would go to the clinic for a procedure or even surgery, I almost always was listening to mantra music on my AirPods and holding a crystal in my hands. I believe that all paths to motherhood are spiritual, and this was how I honored my journey. For me, reverence is about treating every experience as a divine one. When I sat down to create this podcast today, I prayed I would be a channel and the words would come through me. I live my entire life as if I'm not alone, that the divine is always with me, especially in the challenging times, even when I don't understand what's happening. And reverence doesn't have to be about God or spirituality. We can have reverence for Mother Earth. We can have reverence for the moon and the stars. We can have it for our beloved animals. We can have reverence for our bodies. To me, reverence is about being fully present and about being conscious. And our bonus word for today is irreverent. The Cambridge English Dictionary says that not showing the expected respect for official, important, or holy things, that is irreverent. There are entire categories on Netflix of irreverent comedies, dramas, sitcoms, and so on. These are the shows that you laugh at their jokes and then you immediately feel bad after, knowing it's probably not something to be joked about. Just think Saturday Night Live. As we move into the holiday season, this is a perfect time to reflect on what you hold reverence to. Is it the shopping and consumerism of the holidays, or is it something else? Be conscious of what you are choosing to be reverent to.
And today's poem that I would like to leave you with is called Honoring Divine Presence in All Things by Pixie Lighthorse. Thank you for this great day. Thank you for putting out the call to come home to you. Help us sing your songs of love and devotion to our understanding of you loud and clear. Help us write those that live inside of us, remaining unspoken and unsung. Remind us that they are there because you are there. Let these illuminated occurrences, these brief seeings and believing, be a map to our self-knowledge and self-trust, as well as reflective of our faith in your magic. Show us that everything is beautiful and can also help us to appreciate that which is furthest from beautiful for the lessons that accompany it. Let nothing be lost on us. Make us your sensitive trackers, seeking truth and finding it tucked away in the unexpected. Let us channel your pure energy so we can feel you in everything. Show us how to bring in as often as possible, providing us with reserves for staying fueled for human tasks. Remind us that time spent with you is what recharges us best. Draw sacred hearts on our souls leaving us with no question about our lovability and value. Show us that you are here in every lily, lake, and lover. Help us to recognize your unconditional love. We promise to let it ripple out far beyond us once we connect with it. Let us practice valuing our serenity above all else so we may learn the true meaning of conserving what is precious. Help us to agree on what that is. Teach us how to walk through the world consuming less and caring more about the spirit that lives in everything. Show us how to be generative and not deplete ourselves, nor others' energies. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.